0: become our friend on facebook post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network visit facebook.com forward slash voice america
1: the following program is being brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voice america the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio
2: You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. For more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life.
3: Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner and CEO of Empirical Wealth Management, a uh, Seattle-based wealth management company. I also have Ethan Broga, Certified Financial Planner with a Master's Degree in Financial Planning. Ethan, good afternoon and welcome to the show once again. Hey, Ken. How's it going today? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Good. Nice day out. Nice day. Definitely. In a little late summer here in Seattle, it seems like. It's quite lovely. Lovely, lovely, yes. I can't argue with you there, Ethan. Well, today, Ethan, on our program, I thought we could do a review. We haven't talked in quite some time about the differences between active and passive management investing. Sure. Uh, If you're you're an investor, you have to make some decisions about the investments that you utilize. And I thought today we'd start the show off with a little chit-chat about that. And uh, also wanted to talk, if we have time, Ethan, just about uh, what an investor can do in the current economic time period we're in and uh, how they should position their view, whether it's short, intermediate, or long term, how they should look at that. Um, I think that some of the biggest challenges are, are on the fringe when we make investment decisions through the market extremes, whether it's the pessimistic times sure. or... The overly optimistic times, and it's the cooler head that tends to prevail, but uh, it does take quite a bit of discipline. I thought we could talk a little little bit about that, but about that, I don't know how you feel. I think it sounds great. Markets are gyrating wildly, up and down all the time, Um, you know, lost a few hundred points. Today it's up a hundred and something. By the time this airs, I don't know. So. Before we get into the active versus passive discussion today, why don't you give out our contact information, Ethan, and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) All right, sounds good. Uh, Well, if you would like
0: to get a hold of us, um, there's a couple ways to do that. First of all, you can send us an email at contact at empiradio.com. You've got mail. That's right. Or uh, you can give us a call here directly in the Seattle office. Uh, Feel free to ask for Ken or myself and just mention the radio show. We'll be happy to speak with you. The number is 800-923-4307, and if you're an individual investor out there looking for you know, even just a second opinion on, on your portfolio or your investment strategy, um, we'd be happy to speak with you and guide you through a bit of our process and, and see how we might be able to help you out in that regard. And then also if you're a, an investment professional out there, what is that exactly, Ken? Just taking notes. Just taking notes, okay. Um, an investment professional. Write down um, this information. And if you're not 100% happy with, with exactly how your current situation is, whether you would be working for yourself, you know, as a, a registered investment advisor, or perhaps you're working with another firm, um, we'd love to tell you more about what we're offering. And um, again, our number is 800-923-4307.
3: Sometimes uh, it's it's we we talk about the long-term strategy, but sometimes if the approach you're taking has a flawed premise it doesn't hurt to start over again and uh go back to the boards here so if you're looking to try something different um i think i think it would be worth your time to give us a call yep okay ethan uh well we thought we would talk about uh the um this active versus passive discussion we we haven't we haven't chatted about it, and I review um, occasionally a, uh, a, a document that is put out by the Standard & Poor's company, and they they call it the uh, Standard & Poor's Indexes versus Active Scorecard. And they've got a U.S. scorecard, and then they've got some international scorecards. And you can pull this down, uh, right? I mean, we don't have any affiliation with S&P, but you go to standardandpoors.com or you just google search type in spiva it'll lead you to the standard reports section of their website that has uh, the indices versus active or they call it the spiva and uh, it's a methodology that's designed i'm just going to give you this right off their site here to provide an accurate and objective apples to apples comparison of funds performance versus their appropriate style indices Correcting for factors that have skewed results in previous index versus active analysis in the industry, SPIVA scorecards show both asset-weighted and equal-weighted averages, including survivorship bias correction to account for funds that may have merged or been liquidated during the period under study, and show style consistency for each style group across different time horizons. Quite a lot in there that we should talk about. Ethan, I'd uh, yeah. love to explain what's, what some of this means. Um, a companion to the Spiva is the Standard Poor's Persistence Scorecard. It tracks the consistency of active funds over three, and five consecutive year periods, and measures performance persistence through transition matrices for three and five non three and five year non overlapping, holding periods. While Spiva focuses on the active versus index debate. The persistent scorecard shows the relationship between past and future performance among active funds. Hmm. Ethan, before we go through that and then look at the scorecard, all right? I think we should talk about what the difference is between an active fund and a passive fund. And just it's been a long time since we have reviewed that. Yep. We've got new listeners flooding in regularly to this program. I saw the hot sheet. Overwhelming shoot. You're right. results here. Uh, so... It wouldn't hurt to review that if, and on our journey to making you an empirical investor, put a TM on that before uh, someone else tries to steal our material, Ethan. <laughs> uh, but seriously, I um, mean, seriously, do put a trademark on that. <laughs> Simon's taking notes uh, right now. Okay. But uh, the difference, Ethan, between active versus passive, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, we I can crack at that.
0: I can, I can take a swing, and I'm sure you'll probably add some things to it, but okay. uh, in a nutshell, the active versus passive is, uh, on the passive side, you're one who tends to use well, for lack of a better word, we just use index funds. Um, they're not funds that are trying to either time in and out of the market or relying on security selection for their performance. Um, whereas that's the, the active approach is more what we call the traditional approach, where that's exactly what's going on. Either you're trying to out of the market in hopes of beating the market, or you're trying to select securities um, in hopes of beating the market as well. So that's what an active manager does or an active strategy versus a passive strategy where you basically have a consistent exposure in specific asset classes and you tend to use index style funds to capture those returns. And again, those, inside those funds there's nobody market timing or, or selecting securities um, on,
3: on an ongoing basis. They, they set, go with a set, set of stocks basically. And I I think that there are a variety of shades or layers of active or passive management. So um, you could use, you had mentioned an index fund, which really just tries to replicate a group of stocks or bonds, securities that are being published um, to get a sense of, of what a particular market is doing. So if we were, often we hear the Dow Jones being quoted, uh, the Dow Jones Index being right. quoted. Uh, professionals tend to like something that's a little, got a little more uh, diversification in it and is not what's called price-weighted where the Dow is a price-weighted index, which just means that they take the, uh, they have the weights that they put on each of the 40 stocks are based on their prices of the stocks rather than the size of the company. Mm-hmm. So a an, o- an often used uh Method of building an index is to what's called capitalization weight the index. So you say, hey, the company that makes up the biggest, uh, has the biggest amount of value stock price times the number of shares of stock, that's the capitalization of the company Mm -hmm. uh, from a stock perspective. It will get a larger percentage of the index. Rather than simply focusing on the stock price, so a lot of professionals don't really like the Dow Jones, although it's so popular and it's been around for so long, it does get quoted frequently. Yeah, the tradition behind it's pretty, pretty strong. So, uh, and it, to be honest, the way they manage it does a reasonable job of tracking where the stock market's going. So, if you were to uh, uh, look at something that is second. Probably most common would be something like the Standard & Poor's 500 Index, which is those 500 large American companies on a capitalization-weighted basis. There's enough material about all of that for several other shows in terms of should it be an equally weighted or what's better in terms of building an index. And that's why I was saying there's various layers of this passive and active management. I think the primary difference that Investors should focus on is is there a stock selection or bond selection process in my investments that is trying to identify the winners and the losers um, on a on a very micro level on a one security at a time level um, versus identifying groups of securities or stocks that have certain characteristics to them that we've talked about on, on, our, on our show for example large companies. Uh, relative to smaller companies as a group. So if you took a thousand of the smallest companies versus a thousand of the largest companies, you could build indexes to track both of those groups of stocks. and you might combine them in such in a way in your portfolio that your expected return differs based on how much you've put into each of those. That's somewhat of an active decision mm-hmm. because you're not passively letting the market dictate how much you have. And that's why, again, I was saying there's various levels of that. Sure. We are not a purely passive manager. Right. Because we make a lot of active decisions about where to wait, uh, where to put our clients' assets, which asset classes will offer expected returns altogether. Those are all pretty active decisions. A truly passive portfolio would own every security in the world that was tradable and own it in some... uh, some this some methodology, whether it's a capitalization weighted or price weighted or equally weighted, any of those, you just pick whatever methodology and you would just stick to it, and then have it systematically rebalanced each year to to realign itself mm-hmm. with that methodology. Where you just describe that the active approach tends to say, well, I don't really uh, uh, care about all of that um, when it comes to a specific investment category i'm going to pick out of say the thousand largest companies some managers allow themselves to be restrained to say i'm a large cap manager and therefore they'll say hey i'll be picking stocks maybe there's a thousand in the universe as an example or Mm -hmm. 500 if we're using S 500 i'm going to pick a, a, a subset of that that i think will have greater return opportunities than the group at large right and, and so you would be taking an active approach. And we've got to take a break on this, uh, this segment here, Ethan. We come back, we'll continue this discussion about active relative to passive, get into the scorecard on SPIVA, and uh, talk a little bit about how it applies to you as an investor. We'll be right back.
2: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here voice america business network
4: are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com.
2: You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial one 800 923 4307 That's one 800 923 4307 You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan.
3: Welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken and Ethan. We are talking about active versus passive, and trying to define those two so that we can right now. and And uh, our ultimate objective is to help you make better decisions. And the purpose of this program is to help you make better decisions about your investing um, and getting to where you want to go financially. So, our name, Empirical, is a representation of our commitment to looking at the data in an unbiased fashion the research and the best science has to offer out there about how to invest, how to get to where you want to get financially with the least possible chance of catastrophe. Would you would you agree with that, Ethan? I would agree with that.
5: Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, baby! Yeah.
3: A little more enthusiasm there, I
5: guess. All right,
3: all right. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, okay, well... Heading into the break, we were defining it, Ethan, and and uh, for the context of our discussion here today, we're focusing on mutual funds, but it could be applied to uh, individual investors who are buying bonds, right, Ethan? That's true. Uh, that is true. Persons
0: who invest uh, choose to own individual stocks, individual bonds, relative to owning a uh, more diversified index are, in, in, in effect... You know, purveyors of an active strategy—they're actively choosing other than uh, more category of stock they're investing in—and I presume it's because they, they're hoping for better returns. Uh, but
3: obviously, the research doesn't really bear that out. Well, and it, it might just be because they don't really know. Could be. Um, that might be their—that might be your experience of how to invest. And for a lot of people, their parents and their grandparents, um, that is how they invested. I mean, back in the '50s and and. Uh, even up until the late 70s, um, there really weren't a lot of what we're calling passive solutions available. True, There were either active mutual funds, which is a company that pools your money along with other investors in the hopes of ideally saving transaction costs, that, when, particularly when commissions were very high, in order to build a reasonably diversified portfolio. For most individuals who didn't have large quantities to invest in the stock market and large amounts of time to monitor those stocks, mutual funds provided a very uh, innovative tool to get diversification and exposure to stock market and bond market returns. The active mutual funds uh, were then saying, hey, we'll pull your money with other investors and we'll have a professional whose job it is to pick the best securities around. And that really was the tradition in the stock market historically. That was the way you invested. Just as in other areas, medicine and other things, there were certain ways that we did based on uh, the research that was available at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, As research began to evolve, though, on market returns and capital market theory, uh, academics and economists began to discover that, well, Really, returns should come uh, to investors based on the, amount, the the types of risks that they take. And that led to research that said, well, there's certain types of risks that are, are present in the stock and bond markets that an investor can expect to get a reward for if they take those risks. And then there's other risks that a person could take, take that they don't get rewarded for as a group. Um, And there are other things like taxes and costs that have to be accounted for. Um, So an interesting evolution occurred, which ultimately led to the passive investment vehicle. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately led to uh, an explosion in uh, exchange-traded funds that tend to focus on uh, passively managed sets uh, or opportunities to capture different sets of all kinds of different markets but in a in a uh, diversified way now just because they're passive doesn't necessarily mean as I was saying that that uh, because there's so many different levels of, of using an active or passive approach you right. can, you could be a to engage their strategy so um, we'll do our best to kind of keep this simple but uh, as far as the mutual fund discussion goes Ethan um we're talking about the difference between picking stocks out of a group, a larger group in hopes that those stocks will generate a higher rate of return, yeah, the stocks that you focus on and if you're doing it individually, I think a lot of investors don't realize that they're making a decision conscious you know maybe it's not consciously that they're saying, well, I don't trade a lot, you know I'm just I bought a few stocks that or I inherited some from my parents or grandparents and just going to continue to hold them, they kind of put themselves in this passive approach because they tend to identify passive with not trading, with the lack of trading. Right. And that's not really the definition that we're focusing on. Because there are certain managers who manage what we would call these actively managed mutual funds who have very, very low turnover. Value investors, Mm -hmm. guys like Warren Buffett, for example, they don't necessarily buy and sell all the time, but they don't own the entire segment of the market that they're trying to capture. Um, so it gets very complicated, but for our purposes, I think, is that, you think that's clear? I think so. Okay. So what this Standard & Poor's does is they produce a lot of different indice data or index data. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they began to track with this scorecard, they began to track, uh, well, how are professional stock and bond pickers doing? relative to just buying funds that, for example, tracked each of these indices, so say the large company indices. And something that they were talking about that historically in, in earlier studies about the results, you know, if you wanted to, to test a theory, you need to have the empirical data, and then you would run that data through some sort of a test mm-hmm. hypothesis. And one of the, some of the earlier things were, well, geez, do, do active managers, do stock pickers, we'll focus on them for a second, do they earn their, their, their keep? Do they beat the market or, or capture market returns um, adjusting for their expenses? And one of the things that done, didn't show up in earlier studies was this uh, survivorship bias that gets mentioned. I was reading in the disclosure earlier that they've adjusted for that. And what that means is a lot of mutual fund complexes they might start ten or twenty different mutual funds, um, put some seed money in them, or get investors to put seed money, and kill half of those funds uh, by merging them into other funds or just shutting them and li- shutting them down, liquidating them that underperformed the market. Right. So, so if you launch twenty and ten underperformed, um, and ten beat the market, you would you would get rid of or just you know, mob style eliminate. The uh, poor performers, <laughs> and um, it would look like you had a great track record of mutual funds, as, and it's a very common thing that continues to go on today. Well, if you were the investor trying to pick and you said, wow, it, it, would, it would look false, uh, you'd have a false reading in terms of how well stock pickers do, because you would only be focusing on the 10 that actually survived. Right. But in reality, you had a 50% success rate. And even more importantly you'd say, well, how successful were the winners? And did they beat the market by twenty percent a year for a ten year period? Right? And how bad did the losers fail? Did they underperform by a very large amount? Because even if you had even if you had twenty managers and ten outperformed and ten underperformed, it might be a bad bet if the winners only beat the market by say a half a percent a year. Mm-hmm. where the losers on average underperform by, say, 2% per year. Mm-hmm. That could be a—you you say, well, I have 50-50 odds of, of picking the winner, but now you've got a bet that's skewed um, based on the weighting. You know, when you do lose, you lose big. When you yeah. win, you don't win much. You have to the pay out there. And how the casino operates Yeah, exactly right. Bit, right? Mm-hmm. Over time, they're going to win on a dollar-weighted basis. And, uh, oh, sounds like emails are flooding in here, Ethan. What's going on? I don't know. Um, so it's probably excited listeners. Uh, so let's get to this. We've got a couple minutes in this segment. Let's start going through some of this scorecard. And, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, what does it all mean, Basil, from our reference earlier. And uh, here's what we got. Here's what we've got. On the large U.S. funds, um, you have – let me get to the data. Okay. Ending mid-year of 2011, so I'm assuming that's the end of uh, June here, Ethan? Must be. Okay. Uh, The data here is uh, all large-cap funds relative to the S&P 500 – um, percentage of U.S. equity funds outperformed by the benchmark. And so of funds that are categorized in the large company section, 604647 percent were beat by the S&P 500. For the last three years, it's been close to 64% that were beat by just the S&P 500 index. And for the last five years, 6128 for mid-cap or mid-sized uh, mutual funds, the data is pretty grim. It's 66% were beat over the last one year by the index, 75 over the last three years, and 70, almost 79% uh, underperformed the S&P mid-cap index. Uh, very similar when you get into the uh, multi-cap funds, which kind of cover all the different asset classes Mm -hmm. but let's pause there because we've got to take a break we'll come back and we'll start to dissect this data and i want to relate that to well what does what does all this mean to you and what should you be doing we'll be right back
5: Each week, take a visit inside the locker room of your favorite sport with Dez Clark, Paul Fresh Clark, and Lester Scudder-Davis as they bring you sportsmanlike conduct. As a current player, Dez Clark can bring you inside the sports world like nobody can. His co-hosts represent the fans of the sports world. With both points of view on the table, it becomes an engaging and entertaining program, to say the least. Sportsmanlike Conduct can be heard Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Sports Channel.
2: Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan.
3: Okay, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith. And uh, I've got my trusty sidekick Ethan. He'll never let you down, Broga. <laughs> he that's, guarantees it. That's a good one. We can't guarantee a lot in this industry, but that's one thing Ethan will guarantee. You don't don't use use that term lightly.
6: <laughs>
3: he's got your back <sighs> in a tight spot. That's funny. You get you find yourself in a dark alley. He's the guy you want with you. <laughs> he's pretty quick with the steel. Um, <laughs> just kidding. All right, Ethan, let's let's try to refocus here. I'm you're, not sure we can. I think you're, getting, you're going askew on us. Uh, if you want to give us a call, 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Why would you call us? A couple of reasons. One, uh, you're an individual investor out there looking for a scientifically based investment approach where the advisor you work with... Uh, is compensated to do one thing, and that's give you the best advice we can come up with. That's it. Um, If you're concerned about how you're going to retire and you need someone who not only can jockey investments around, but can actually do financial planning for you as a part of that process, uh, that's what we define wealth management as. All of our lead advisors are certified financial planners. In addition to having a vast knowledge base on how capital markets and investments work. They also have to be able to understand how to build a financial plan and uh, carry on a very meaningful relationship with you as our client. That being said, um, Ethan, I think you've also talked about the fact that, uh, many, many people are paying way too much to get help in our industry. Oftentimes they're paying way too much. And they're paying it inside of investments from brokers and wirehouses and bank approaches, yeah. some RIAs, some, some uh, registered investment advisors like us, um, hedge funds, and all these things that they're paying these fees for, but they're not actually even getting the one-on-one pr- expertise on the financial advice uh, or the planning advice, which is equally important in my view. Right. Yeah, I can't believe how many um, – I, I, I hear about it
0: all the time. People still pay – you know commissions or loads to buy mutual funds and things like that where that isn't even necessary and usually that's a lot for a lot of folks I still find that's the scope of the relationship hey let me talk to you about purchasing a load fund and that's it no discussions about taxes, no discussion about retirement, no discussions about basically anything else and it
3: still still exists I'm really quite surprised by that and I'm surprised how few um, people really realize um, because of the way the industry buries the the expenses. Yep, um, it's a big deal in four hundred one k's that that goes on, where people don't even really know what they're paying in the four hundred one k, but the very people uh, who are invested in them would balk at at having an advisor that has an, a fee that's very clear, very below the industry average of expenses, mm-hmm. just simply because they actually know about it, and um, it's it's nice to have little. Little psychological games that we play to get us to do things better, right? But it's not so good when when you're making poor investment decisions based on that. So you need to know, uh, and if you don't know, we'd love to help you with that. Do you know what you're actually paying? Because a lot of programs out there, well, there's free commissions, or there's free this or that, or it's all kind of built in. It's not. You're paying for it one way or the other, Um, and it's highly likely that for the level of, of expertise that you get working with Empirical, you are, you would pay and save money. Um, we, would, we feel very strongly about that. So I'll invite you to contact us. Let us go through your statements and, and look at what you are paying and how diversified you are and right. are you maximizing the returns. Um, and hey, there's no obligation to work with us. If you're an advisor out there who happens to be w- in one of these companies and you're looking for a refreshing change, or you can work with clients um, and, and have a very well-thought-out, very well-researched investment and financial planning approach, give us a call as well mm-hmm. or shoot us an email at that contact at empiradio.com or smith at empiradio, I'm sorry, smith at empiricalfs.com. I'll give you my direct email here. That's smith at empi-c-a-l. E-M-P-I, where am I at here? Empirical. E-M-P-I-R-C-A-L. We usually don't record this early in the morning. (laughs) FS.com. There you go. Okay. Now, let's jump back into this SPIVA report. We're talking about active versus passive, and I'm starting to go through some of the uh, results here. Um, And it went through, you confirmed, Ethan, that this data is through um, June 30 of this year. So. The midpoint of 2011. Yep, that's exactly right. Now, what's interesting, Ethan, is many of the active proponents would say, hey, during tough markets like the one we've gone through over the last three and five years and even the last uh, since May of this year, but mm-hmm. it would say, hey, that's a time when active managers really earn their 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 fees because when the bull market all is raging, all boats can rise with the tide. So a lot of the, the the earlier studies, you know, that during the boom of, of the '90s, uh, that were showing, geez, if I just bought index funds, I did very well and captured a great deal of that bull market. Mm-hmm. The argument was, well, yeah, but when we get through tough times, when we get to tough times, that's when the active managers really, really earn their value. Um, so you would expect that. During these tough times, if that were the case, that uh, we would see that in the data. Um, these are very short-term track uh, trackings. The real academic studies cover multi-decades of period uh, time periods to right. track. This is not a conclusive study by any means. It's just simply a kind of a scorecard that they keep. Yep. I, if it was this alone though, I wouldn't make any decisions based on a one-year, three-year, five-year number. So just to be clear about that that finding something that has data for one or 3 or 5 years does not a conclusion make you need many more data points and a much broader and comprehensive study but there have been many many over the last several decades academic studies that show that uh, active managers professionals in publicly traded uh, mutual funds have a very very difficult time consistently beating the market beyond any random uh, chance. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think you're really seeing in these numbers is, hey, certain categories like small cap or value, uh, managers might do have done better over the last five years than um, you know 50%, which by chance you'd say 50% would beat and 50% would, would, would underperform the index, right? Right. In a, if, if we were just pitting them all against each other. So in certain categories, we were, we were just kind of going through, scroll back up here, starting with the large uh, data. Ethan, I think we said that in uh, yeah the last five years, uh, the S&P 500, 61.28% of managers underperformed the S&P. If it was just random chance, we might expect that at least 50% would beat it, but it's such a short-term period, um, and 78% almost 79% of the mid-caps managers underperformed. I don't see, well, while large-cap value, according to the S&P 500 Value Index, th- only 35, 35% um, underperformed the benchmark. So 65% of them beat the S&P. I don't know that that, well, it certainly doesn't mean I would sell all my actively managed large-cap funds and mid-cap funds and then buy actively managed uh, large-value Managers, it's not not the conclusion I would draw on this. Mm-hmm. You'd really want to look across all of these and try to get an idea of, hey, as a group, do active managers because it'll change from time to time. Sure. Part of that'll be what what the index really is defining as value, or small or large, and um, and in times where there are uh, active managers that have some leeway and they happen to move into real, uh, more value when value does, when value as a, as a whole does better. Um, but it washes when you have a longer term data. And when you get into, um, you know, other areas, you're, you're not really seeing any, it's just, just if you took all the different asset classes in the U S, so they have mid cap growth value, small cap, uh, multi cap, um, REITs, 70% of the, uh, REIT, um, uh, managers underperformed the the benchmark, Ethan. That's pretty amazing. So that's a pretty pretty big chunk of underperformance. If you take all of the domestic equity funds and combine them together, 58% over the last five years underperformed, 55 over the last three years, and and 48 over the uh, 49, almost 50% over the last uh, one year. Yeah. What it means is that, it, to me, Ethan, that when you see these continue to, these scorecards continue to show this very similar data, is there's very little persistence or consistency that the smart money, so-called smart managers as a group, they like to, to not be categorized as a group because each one thinks they're smarter than the other one, but they are the finance gurus, right? And as a group, They should do better than the index because they should be able to easily take money from the individuals who aren't very bright, according to them, right? The individual investor. um, And you don't see that in the data. And part of that is maybe not that they're not bright, but part of it is that they incur costs, um, transaction costs and their expenses in the attempt to beat the market. So one of the academics, Ken French, tends to say that, hey, you'll see how performance... But they'll tend to eat away the outperformance with their costs. They'll adjust their expenses to reflect the outperformance. So if they beat the market by 2% a year, over time, the, the fees that they charge will tend to eat away at most of that, that outperformance. Um, so what we have here is a situation where you've got, on average here, um, oh, you know what, Ethan, we've got to take a break. Okay. We'll come back and wrap this up and kind of get to the what does it all mean segment. All
2: right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
4: Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, portfolio manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Four three zero seven, or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's e m p i r i c a l s.com Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com.
5: on the Voice America Sports Network.
2: We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial one 800 923 4307 That's one 800 923 4307 You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan.
3: Alrighty then. Welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Ken Smith and Ethan Broga here. And, uh, Ethan, we are in our last segment. We're talking about the uh, active relative to a passive investment strategy. And I was directing listeners to check out the uh, Standard & Poor's website. Just go to standardandpoors.com or Google search for, they call it SPIVA, the acronym, S-P-I-V-A. They do an indices versus active funds scorecard. Uh, and that's what we're going over. and We were just talking about the, uh, the fact that, um, in the vast majority of the asset classes covered, and they at least we're just looking at the U.S. data here, Ethan. Right? It's, it's less than a uh, 50% chance of, of the uh, active professional stock pickers beating the indices. Um, on uh, one three and five year if you kind of look over the data you'll see it. And getting to what what does all this mean in our last segment is kind of what we right. promised and you know I like to deliver on what I promise Ethan and, uh, and I know you do as well no doubt. So let's deliver it. Uh, what, what it means to me is that there's no conclusive data here because you can debate over over the uh, you know the intricacies or the, the minutia on this stuff. But there's very little conclusive data that says that being with a uh, professional stock picker or you doing it yourself adds any return or protects you from, from any loss um, in, a, in a bear market. And, again, there are, are broader, more conclusive studies, comprehensive studies out there that take into account a lot more of the empirical data than just the last one, three, or five. I, I like that... The S&P does this, and they just update it, I think, every six months or so or every quarter even. Um, actually, yeah, they do have it on a quarterly basis right. as well. And the other uh, document that we didn't get to that we, that they have is it is a persistency where you actually get to see in time. Um, so if for the last five years, we say 50% of, of a particular group of active managers beat the indice over the next five-year period, how many of those would the the, the outperformers would, would be in that category? Yeah,
0: would well they persist into the next sample period of time?
3: And so there's there's that extra element of practicality there, which is it's not enough that even a small smaller-than-expected-by-chance group beats the market. It's the likelihood that they'll be there in that winning category over the next cycle. Again, yep. So... While we are active in that, there are an enormous amount of active decisions that have to be made to maximize your investment opportunity, Mm -hmm. and uh, we believe that you need an advisor to do that, Um, just opening an account at Vanguard and buying a bunch of low-cost index funds. uh, I believe you're giving something up by doing that. Uh, There's nothing wrong with with Vanguard as a company or the funds, my Mm -hmm. point is not getting help is is not the solution so i think sometimes people think well hey if professional stock picker can't beat the market and then they come to the right conclusion well they shouldn't be able to do it either yep irrational um, because to a portfolio can be uh not whether you used a mutual fund that was picked out of the large cap category uh, or, an index that was picking, was, was owning stocks from that category. It's that you didn't have any of them at the worst possible time, and you had too much of it at another worst possible time. And I think that's where most of us as individuals have a hard time. It's figuring out what is my strategy. You know, what asset classes should I actually own? Yep. How should I rebalance those asset classes? What proportion and- to own them? a real big decision over time as my life evolves yeah. how much risk should i be exposed to and how should i adjust those risk levels once i've ad- achieved the ability uh, reached the ability to attain all my goals mhm what do you what do you have to say ethan about this yeah i
0: think you know you mentioned a lot of things there just you better believe it picking the picking what asset classes to own and what proportion how much allocation and i think more important than all those things probably is, is having the, the discipline to stick with your chosen strategy. I mean, you can have all index funds, but you, you panic on March 9, 2009. You sell everything. Don't participate in the recovery. That's a problem. And a lot of people do that, even though they made the right decision to use sort of passively constructed, you know, investment vehicles. So I think there's a lot, of, and that's just one, that's just the portfolio elements we've talked about, right? You know, uh, 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 an advisor worth their salt, we I mean, consulting on many different areas. Because we we all know that there are many things that go into a successful. You need to maximize your wealth in every way that you can. Right. That means in looking outside, just simply the portfolio. I mean, keeping it taxes you know very low and, and have all those things very efficiently run is important. But more than more important than that, is staying on track, having an approach you can you can believe in and stick stick with, and then looking at the financial planning opportunities to
3: secure the wealth that you've you've worked so hard to to save for yourself. So, with the market. Going up and down, and people looking on a global basis at this. The last couple minutes here, Ethan, looking at uh, the global fears of uh, falling back into a recession. Yeah. What What does all that mean? Um, and I I saw that uh, a pretty large amount of money has been in August went out of equity mutual funds. So investors have been pulling money out um, as the markets de- declined. Um, not to the extent they were during the debt crisis situation, but mm-hmm. at the end of, the, of August, they were saying a pretty good chunk of, of uh, in the billions of, of money was pulling out of equity funds rather than actually going into them. Um, what does all this mean? You know, uh, should, we, should we be paying close attention to this? Uh, or should we be taking, if, if we were confident that the risks that we have in our portfolio are rewarded risks, Right so not the risk of right owning one company or one sector, but uh the, the all the risk if you've done a good job assuring that hey, the risks inside my portfolio should be rewarded, but it's a matter or function of time, and uh what should we do? You know Should we be reacting to all
0: this yeah um clearly my view is if you, if you are reacting to all this, you, you probably don't have the best plan if your your if your reaction is to to sell out of all your equities as markets go down a bit, um, I don't think you have a good plan in place, to be honest with you. Right. I think long-term, you, you're, your likelihood of success is, is very low. Right. Uh, you need to, be, you need to be, have things structured correctly in that you can make good decisions with your money. And selling after things go down generally isn't a good strategy, particularly if you already have a diversified portfolio and it's well-allocated, and you have the correct time horizon for this, the equities in place in your portfolio. Yeah. You know, if you're re- in your 401 k for example, you're 50 years old, you've got 10 years to retirement, um, do you need to sell equities today? You know, yeah. If you have a, a balanced portfolio and it's been well thought out, well, prob- maybe not. Probably not. Right. You know, we're not making those types of adjustments here with our clients' our clients' portfolios.
3: Well, Ethan, I think uh, you heard it. You heard it here, Ethan Broga. Don't panic and sell, but use it as an opportunity. I'm going to add to get into a, a sound strategy. Exactly. And uh, I think, in conclusion, that's our advice for this week. We've got to go. We've got to run, but we will be back next week. You can rest assured of that. Same time, same place. So have a great week, and thank you very much for tuning in to Empirical Investing Radio.
2: We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.